0: This is episode 54 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Data Storage for Preppers, Should You Plan to Barter in a Collapsed Economy, and How to Battle Harden Your Bug Out Bag. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, let's go ahead and get started. This first article comes to us from thePrepperJournal.com, and it's a good article here written about making sure that the, uh, preppers have a way to store their data and uh, some reasons why. So here we go. Let's go ahead and start reading this one. On, on October 21st, 2016, the internet broke. Netflix, Twitter, PayPal, and more were all hacked, and it took most of the day for representatives from the many major companies affected to find, fix, and implement the problems. For For most people, this was a minor disruption to their day. To my teenage daughter, the SHTF situation we've all been waiting for was occurring right then and there. She instantly lost at least half of her ability to communicate and find news. She lost her entire source of entertainment, and she lost the ability to pay for anything online, even if temporarily. I think it's safe to say that we could all live without Twitter. Netflix is a great modern convenience, but we could live without that too. What would happen, though, if we lost Wikipedia? I know that I reference Wikipedia at least twice a day, whether it's for random historical trivia, information I need for work, or items of interest I'm using to plan my next prepping project. To lose access to what I consider to be the major source for all accumulated human knowledge would be a major blow. News recently broke that the Turkish government is preventing its citizens from accessing Wikipedia. The outage I referenced earlier was one of the largest in the short history of the internet, and it was, fortunately, quite temporary, lasting around 12 hours. What if it affected your personal PC? The infamous computer hijacks and ransomware that have been plaguing PC users for the past few years often destroy and corrupt enough of your internal data that it cannot be recovered. What if it were permanent? That could be an EMP attack or CME that wipes out all power or it could be a targeted hack that we can't figure out how to solve or something else entirely. What happens if our government passes laws similar to those already in place in Turkey and many Asian countries, which prohibits access to sites which they have decided contain information they don't want shared? I don't have all the answers to these problems, but I know one potential solution. Local data backup. Most amateur computer owners have one or more PCs which, with probably only one or two copies of their most important data. Resumes, scans of birth certificates and other legal documents family photos, and more. The true solution is to have many copies of your important data stored locally, updated frequently, and maintained in a Faraday cage in case of an EMP attack. To start, you'll want a high-capacity data external storage device. I would recommend at least eight tetrabytes of storage space per unit in multiple drives if possible. You should also have at least one or two flash drives that store at least parts of this information. This should run you about $200. That and an old computer or tablet with a USB cord and an internet connection should be all you need for this invaluable project. I've heard some preppers who prefer to maintain optical discs with information on them, but a number of the solutions I want to implement will require files that are larger than the storage capacity of a single DVD or CD. You'll also have to consider storage space. All those disks and the disk drives itself will take up more space than a single external drive. Hey, let me go back to this tablet with a USB cord. you got to make sure that your tablet will be able to work. I know that in some situations where you had an adapter and you were going from a USB cord to like a mini USB, uh, USB uh, MEL plug-in, um, would have problems with, you, you know, it would not work. You could possibly damage your tablet. You just need to do a little bit of research before you try to use uh, a USB with, uh, with your tablet. You just got to make sure that it has that availability on it. All right, let's continue on. Personal data comes first. The chances of any computer contracting a virus or a worm while you're suffering the internet, yes, even you Apple people, is significantly higher than the chances of an EMP attack happening in next few weeks. It's important to have a copy of your birth certificates and other important documents, including copies of social security cards, recent pictures of your immediate family, address and phone contact information, and other information available for bug out situations. And it's valuable to have that data stored in a variety of locations, including on your external hard drive. It is also highly recommended that you maintain a copy of receipts or warranties for major appliances and pictures of each of the rooms in your house. It is possible that, in the event of a major flood or fire, that you could use these items to help increase the amount of money you can get back from your home, home insurance as proof of at least some of the major items you've, you're keeping in each area of your house. Second, survival. One of the first tricks that preppers learn when getting involved in the lifestyle of preparedness is that it's possible to download a wide variety of prepper manuals online including military survival PDFs and other documents. You can even save valuable web pages and articles for offline viewing. I have printed many materials to put in a binder, but again that takes valuable storage space and could be easily destroyed in a fire or a flood. My digital copies of data, so long as they remain well protected in their Faraday cage, are safe from most dangers. Next is the broad category of items of personal importance, which could include almost anything that you find important to keep around. What's in my collection? Family photos and videos take up a large bulk of my storage space. A simple feed scanner that you can purchase on Amazon for about $100 will allow you to scan and store thousands upon thousands of photos onto your external drive, where they will all be protected from flood damage and fading due to aging, and where you can easily gift them to another relative to open up more storage space under your stairs for prepping supplies. All of my wife's hard work on our family tree is now scanned and preserved in its own folder as well for the next generation to continue the work, as are my grandfather's old diaries we've been left, I also keep a local copy of any digital media I own, which is everything from digital copies of Disney movies that came for free with the Blu-rays I've purchased for my kids to those new music albums that I've bought as MP3s because it was cheaper and more convenient than buying the disc. I've got downloaded digital copies of my Audible collection and a few Kindle books as well. Essentially, if I've paid money for it, I have a copy of it on my external drive that I can download and access forever, even if those host companies go out of biz- business or lock my account. Finally, you can do what I've done and keep a localized backup copy of Wikipedia and other sources of world knowledge. Many of these archive sites allow anyone to download a full copy of the entire site and with a wiki reader, it's possible to maintain a version of Wikipedia which does not require the internet to search. In addition, you can also download a few other collections for posterity, including a huge collection of -of out-of-copy novels from Project Gutenberg that could keep you reading for your entire lifetime without having to purchase a new book. I believe that maintaining at least a bare-bones minimum of these documents and files is essential regardless of whether you take the steps necessary to protect this data from an EMP. For that, a Faraday cage, an enclosure completely surrounded by metal on all sides, is important. There, there have been thousands of people before me who have discussed the creation of such a device, so I'll leave them to it. Suffice it to say that if an EMP occurs, it is widely assumed that almost all electronic equipment that is not protected is in jeopardy. That means that if you are taking the time to store data, you also need to store some kind of old computer or laptop capable of accessing the the data and a backup copy of installation files for programs you can use to read them. That means that you want a PDF reader installed as well as programs that will allow you to view photos and videos and if you have movies or audiobooks tied to a service like Audible, you'll need to have those installed. The value of a project like this is in the details. First, it preserves a large amount of your family's history, making it more accessible for younger, computer-savvy members of your family to learn about and carry on the knowledge we have as a modern society and many of the traditions that you hold dear. Second, this is a great way to make more space in your life for prepping supplies or whatever else you want to have. I was able to re-gift 15 banker's boxes worth of photos, VHS tapes, diary CD-ROMs, and floppy disks full of data and combined them into one external hard drive, and I purchased a second drive to send to a distant relative overseas as a holiday gift that meant the world to him. Finally, I truly believe that with cloud computing, government regulations on access to information, and an ever-increasing life-or-death reliance on technology, there will come a time when the freedom of the internet and our personal data will be under attack. Having at least a portion of that knowledge stored in a metal trash can in your garage where Big Brother can't find it might make all the difference. Is this an expensive project? Yes, it certainly can be. A good quality hard drive along with a backup copy of a computer in a Faraday cage could cost a pretty penny. There's no doubt that this is a long and difficult project as well. Even with a fairly fast feeder scanner for photos and small documents, But with searching and downloading times for files and figuring out how to store this data for ease of use, it took me the better part of all winter and spring to make this a reality. How much of this would be useful in a true SHTF situation? Potentially quite a lot. Potentially not at all. The information on that Wikipedia backup might be invaluable, but you may also not have the electrical power to access the data. As a project that has so many qualifications, this is likely not applicable to all preppers. But for those who have enough backup water filters, have installed their solar panels, and have too many boxes of old photos you, can, you can't get rid of, this is a great project to start this year to help not only modernize but also to help prepare. So um, there are some comments here that you're going to want to go check out. A few comments so, uh, I don't think, I think this is a very, very valuable project. I think every prepper should do it to a point. I think the idea of preparing for, you know, putting it in a Faraday cage and having a spare laptop, I mean, one of the things you need to do, for instance, I have an old laptop that I can connect to an external hard drive, but the battery is so old, and I don't even think they make the batteries anymore, that you would have to, um, You would have to connect it to electricity power, you know, or have it, you know, connected to direct power all the time. So, I would, you wouldn't be able to just use it, you know, just running off the battery. So, in that case, you need batteries to be able to run it off of and an inverter, and then you need solar panels to charge it. And he did talk about that here at the very, very end uh, of this article. But eventually, those batteries are going to fail. Eventually, those kinds of things are going to fail. And so, you know, you won't have that. It, if you can maintain that for a while, maybe, you know, if you were in a complete collapse situation, EMP or whatever, and electronics completely did go down like uh, like some people think they would, uh, then yeah, it would be very useful for you for a little while until things started to break down. But I don't want to focus on the EMP aspect of it, right? Um, that, that is like the worst, worst of the worst case scenario. And if that happens, you're probably not going to be worried about, uh, the electronics in your Faraday cage. Um, and I think it's more important to look at all the other things that he talked about is, is you find information online, you want to keep a copy for yourself. I've talked about this before in the past. I've even written articles about it that in my time as running Prepper website, I have seen a lot of great articles. Uh, articles and websites come and go and so there will be times like when you go to the tag cloud of prepper website and you're researching a certain prepping topic and you go and you click on and you go you start you start drilling down to to the older articles a lot of those websites have gone you know they're they're they've they've gone they just disappeared people have stopped uh you know, preparedness wasn't important for them anymore, or they got tired, or tired of it, or got tired of doing the website, whatever it might have been. And if they hosted their own website, as soon as they, you know, they didn't renew it, it went away. Now, some people, you know, have like free WordPress and free Blogger uh, accounts, and some of those are still up. Uh, the good thing is that you know there is the Wayback Machine. So if you have a, and I need to do an article on that, but if you have a uh, at least a URL that you can go to. You can go to the Wayback Machine and plug it in and the Wayback Machine will will pull it up for you. And I actually used that for some of the articles on my gardening link bomb because there was about five or six of them that were already, you know, the websites, you know, you couldn't find them anymore. But I used the Wayback Machine to get the articles and link to the Wayback or link to that article on the Wayback Machine. So, um, you know, there's a lot of other reasons for that, you know, keeping a record of your own stuff, like you said, uh, maybe taking pictures of everything that you have in your house or taking a video and then saving that, uh, you can do that. Uh, You know, the photos and all that kind of stuff make it really, really easy. I think you should have backups of like social and birth certificate and and important documents like that. Um, It's very, very, very easy to do those kinds of things. Um, You don't need a humongous, humongous uh, drive to do that. I think you talked about eight terabytes. I mean, it's good to have that, but you know, the more memory you go, for instance, I have a 128 gig flash drive, and uh, I actually have two of them. I use one of them because I go in between for this this podcast. I use it for that, and then I have another one for church business and stuff like that. And I never, I mean, I'm not even touching the uh, the storage capacity on these flash drives. You know, uh, it's it's amazing how much you can hold nowadays on these little things. And so I would recommend that you do carry some of these, uh, you know, have these flash drives or have some external drives. I did an article. So if you have an old computer that is broken down and um, I had a pretty fast desktop computer and uh, had some really nice drives in there and, you know, I got to the point where I wasn't using my office anymore and the the desktop kind of pooped out on me but the hard drives were still good so i bought an external enclosure which allows you to put this hard drive in and then you're able to use this hard drive as an external hard drive so you know hard drives that are inside your computer are going to be internal hard drives but then you can turn it into an external hard drive very very easily and i did an article on that to show to show how how easy it was to do and so I'm gonna go ahead and link to that in the show notes because if you have even an old laptop, so I had an old laptop that crapped out on me and I was able to pull the hard drive, you just flip it over, a lot of the times it's one or two screw, screws and I just pulled the, the hard drive out and it's a very small, small external hard drive but it, I still was able to get to my data that was on there and or there was one that I just completely reformatted and started you know, dropping data on that. So there's a lot of possibilities. So if you have an old computer before you go, you know, trash it or give it away or whatever you're going to do, yank the hard drive out and you have the ability to turn that into an external hard drive and it's not hard at all. It's very easy. It's a very easy project to do. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes of episode 54 for you. All right. Don't want to do a whole lot of talking tonight. It's kind of late. And um, kind of tired, so I'm going to continue going on here. Our next article comes to us from preparednessadvice.com. Uh, and uh, again, like always, the uh, the article on Prepper Journal, I'm just going to go back to that one just really quickly, uh, about data storage. There's a lot of links in there that you're going to want to uh, go and check out. And uh, same thing for this one at Preparedness Advice. Um, you're going to have... Um, well, not as many, but there are a couple of links here that you can you can click on and uh, go to other things. But this is an, I, I don't think since I've done the podcast, I don't think I've done one on barter yet, and so uh, this I think this is a good one just to kind of consider and to think about. So here we go. Uh, should you plan to barter in a collapsed economy from preparednessadvice.com? If our economy ever does collapse and the dollars we've saved become worthless, one thing is for sure. A system of bartering will emerge along with a black market. As you stock up on food and other goods, you may have had the thought this would be good for bartering. Prepper bartering is a very popular topic on most prepper forums and blogs, but is it something worth planning and prepping for? Most people think barter is merely, I'll trade you for this or that. In a pure, simple sense, that is so. However, where the rubber meets the road, where theory smacks hard into the face of reality, it isn't nearly that simple and easy. There are definite drawbacks. Let's use the realistic example of a parent in search of antibiotics for their child. If he's lucky enough, he'll come upon an acquaintance who happens to have a stash of antibiotics, maybe even fish antibiotics that are available in livestock stores or on Amazon. The parent explains his need and requests a week's worth of amoxicillin. The owner of that antibiotic now has to make a tough decision. His own loved ones may be in need of those pills somewhere down the road. It may be impossible to purchase any more in the near future, but perhaps this desperate parent has something of value to trade. Here is where bartering gets interesting because now the parent has to think of things he's willing to give up in order to acquire amoxicillin. Food? A Berkey water purifier? Gold or silver? A firearm? Ammunition? what? He can offer any number of items in trade, but until the owner of the amoxicillin decides he wants something that is offered, the trade isn't going to happen. In my situation, I'd be thinking food? We already have a year's worth and I don't need any more. A Berkey? Got that, plus a few other water purifiers. Gold or silver? Maybe, but how much am I willing to lose? A firearm, I could always use another but look at what I'm giving up, a drug that could save my own life or my child's life someday, not sure it's worth it. Ammo, same reasoning as above. The trade for amoxicillin in this case may be dead in the water and the parent in search of the drug may have to move on and find someone else with that drug stashed away somewhere. So is prepper bartering something you can count on as a survival strategy? Obviously not. There is no substitute for being well, very well prepared yourself and thinking ahead to what you might need. By the way, if the proposed barter runs into a dead end, guess who is vulnerable to robbery or worse? Yep, the guy who let it be known that he has a supply of life-saving drugs. Not smart, it may very well become a major reason why many people simply won't turn to barter. It reveals what they have during a time in which scarcity is the rule. If you do want to prep for barter, first make sure you are stocked up with the basics for yourself and your family before worrying about adding items for barter. Consider these points. Do you have extra funds to purchase barter goods? What percentage of your prep budget will go into buying barter goods? Do you have room to stock up on items specific for barter? The next steps are review list of barter goods and consider cost. What items can you most afford and do you have room to store them? Think about which potential barter goods can double as useful items for you if you need to raid the stash. Example: If you've never ever dr- drink alcohol, then maybe you should you shouldn't stock up on dozens of bottles of liquor. Consider stocking only items whose use you may very well. The most you know about them, and thus their usefulness and value, the better a deal you can haggle. Prioritize your shopping list, but be prepared to deviate. If a great deal pops up, look for your chosen item on sale, clearance, or have coupons. Over the counter drugs, nutritional supplements, and cosmetics often show up in clearance aisles. Most barter items fall into two main categories comfort, luxuries, and survival essentials. Imagine living for weeks or months without a bar of soap or a bottle of shampoo. After weeks without electricity, imagine the incredible, incredible value of a pack of batches might have. Other suggestions in the comfort luxury category are Nail polish, lipstick, feminine hygiene, cigarettes, alcohol, paperback books, hygiene supplies, soap, toothpaste, toothbrushes, shampoo, candy, chocolate, chewing gum, anything that will help make life more pleasant, coffee, baby wipes, spices, candy, chocolate. Among among essentials that would be welcome in a barter exchange, ammunition, ammunition, long-term food, water filter purification, seeds, read this article about many seed banks specific for bartering, batteries, first aid supplies, many are on this list, tools, vitamins, over-the-counter medications and medical supplies, baby supplies, diaper, formula, baby clothes, camping gear, insect repellent, matches, fire starter. You can read long list of barter-able items here. Remember that skills and knowledge are great for bartering and won't impact what you have stored away. The bottom line is to give this some thought. Don't overspend and keep your eyes open for bargains. Alright, so there's 15 comments in the comment section. Some people making some good um, some points there uh, to consider when you think about bartering. Some people think it's just like, uh, I wouldn't do it until the dust really, really settles. Uh, I probably wouldn't wind up doing it at all. I think if there was a real collapse, yes, at some point there are going to be bartering cities, bartering, you know, communities that, are, that will start popping up. Um, and then, you know, there's always going to be people that are able to make things uh, like, you know, you think about soap. Uh, yeah, you might not be able to barter soap, but there might be somebody who knows how to make soap. And so you can make it and sell it at, at a place like, you know, a bartering place. So anyway, uh, something to think about. And really, like I said, really haven't talked a lot about bartering. Uh, there are lists. I, I believe this last link here links to survival, uh, the Survivalist blog with a bunch of barter items you can go and check out. Okay, so uh, one last article to read. We're going to Survival Sullivan. And the title of this article is How to Battle Harden Your Bug Out Bag. When it comes to bug out bags, we spend a lot of our time thinking about the different types of gear that we might need in a whole range of situations that we might find ourselves in if the SHTF. We often consider what our skill levels are in different areas and then reach for certain pieces of gear to maximize our capabilities in the field. A common struggle is collecting too much gear and then having an oversized pack that is way too heavy. This opens us up to injury if we ever have to carry it for any sort of distance. Assuming that we get the proper gear selected, the weight within reason, and a proper backpack, then we usually think we are done. However, there happens to be a little more thinking that you should do in order to guarantee that your bob will hold up well to several different factors in the environment. In this article, we are going to explore the key areas that might threaten the integrity of your bug out bag and put you in a bad situation without proper working gear. By using some of these ideas, you can take a few easy steps to make sure that your bob is battle hardened against the different threats. As an example case study, I'd like to go through the different things you can do to your bob by using mine to illustrate the different problems. I built my bob with the standard outdoor skill set in mind including being able to make fire well tie knots for various tarp shelters and good know how on purifying water. As a reference you can check out all of my gear in my bug out bag over at Trek Warrior here. The bob includes a a total weight of 31.6 pounds combined with the bug out clothes that I would be wearing which weighs 5.7 pounds. My total add-on weight for my body is 37.3 pounds. That is about the max recommended weight for a male at my age, weight, and physical shape. I spent a lot of time reducing the gear to get it down to the weight and it still takes up quite a bit of volume and consumes a 50 liter backpack. Remember that the weight of your bob is an important thing to consider. To give you an idea of some of the gear I plan on carrying, Three liters of water on me at the start and picking up more along the way. I opted for a tarp shelter that I can make out of my military poncho and paracord. I also have a 20 degree Fahrenheit sleeping bag where I use a compression bag to shrink it. This is a personal choice that I made because I had the pleasure of almost freezing to death out in the woods one time in below freezing weather and I vow to never let that happen again. Those are some of the main features of my gear selection to give you an idea. Depending on the gear that you choose, you may have a slightly different setup to execute some of the ideas that follow. An important area that can really destroy some of your critical gear's capability is punctures. There are a few pieces of gear here that are extremely sensitive to holes. Water containers, ponchos, tarps, and tents. For example, a hole in any of your water containers can be disastrous for two main reasons. For one, you can lose the clean water that you have, and two, you may not be able to carry clean water far enough between your designated water spot on your bug out location journey. A hole or tear in your poncho, tarp, or tent can also lead to water soaking either you or your gear. In colder climates, this could lead to hypothermia and death. You might always have the ability to keep yourself dry, and if you get soaked, be able to strip down and dry out your clothes. So what can we do to prevent punctures? It all starts with your backpack. The material that your bag is made out of is your first line of defense. When selecting a backpack for your Bob, you need to pay attention to the material types used. The denier is a common unit that helps you understand the strength of the material. However, bags could be made out of nylon, polyester, or other materials, which may make it more difficult to compare the denier units. For example, the common materials that you often find in the most popular bags are 1050D or Denier Nylon, 1000D or Denier Nylon, and 600D polyester, to name a few. For my Bob, I chose the Condor 3 Day Assault Backpack, which is made out of 1000D nylon. I wanted tough material in my backpack that wouldn't break my bank account. If you have a bigger budget, the 511 Tactical Rush 72 is double the price and made out of 1050D nylon and is more durable. You won't ever find a bulletproof bag, so the, the, the key here is to select material that is tough enough to hold up over time. Better materials have better abrasion resistance, which means they won't start wearing out as quickly. That way they aren't as prone to puncture fails. Of course, no bag material can withstand a very hard stab with a super sharp object. I personally recommend getting a 1050D nylon or a 1000D nylon material bag. They are usually cost efficient and give you great results. If your bag does suffer a penetration, then what can you do to get more protection inside? A key thing is to keep your vitals in their own separate inner bag to offer another layer of protection. For example, a good military poncho should come with an outer bag of the same type of material. This means that anything that punches through your outer backpack layer will also need to make it through the bag holding your poncho. The same thinking can be applied to your sleeping bag, tent, or tarp. Keep them in their own little bags that they most likely came with for better protection. Many people will dump these outer bags to save weight, but there is more value in puncture protection. Your sleeping bag should be in a compression sack as well, which offers another layer of protection against puncture and water. For your water containers you should have at least one metal container so that you can boil water in it. A metal container has the best puncture protection. Hard plastic containers are popular too but more prone to punctures. Your other containers can be the sturdy collapsible water bottles that usually are made out of puncture resistant plastics. Survivor filters and platypus are some popular choices for these water bottles. These are lightweight and don't take up much space so it makes sense to put in a spare in your bag just in case you spring a leak in your other containers. I have a metal, two plastic and one spare water container. These practices should be should prevent the majority of punctures that you might encounter. If you're still a little paranoid consider going to your local hardware store and buying a sheet of thin hard plastic that you can cut into sheets sized perfectly for your bag. If you get the thin kind it shouldn't weigh too much And you can insert these sheets as a sort of puncture plate right inside your backpack material as another protection layer. This is extremely overkill though. There are a few key ideas on water intrusion to think about. It's almost impossible to keep your backpack dry when you are out in the rain traveling. Unless you break camp for the day and get your shelter set up, you will most likely be getting your bag wet. The standard course of action in this situation would be to break out your poncho to keep yourself dry. However, depending on how big your bug-out bag is, you may not be able to have the poncho fit over you and your bub. My strategy is that my backpack is simply a shell to hold all of my gear and is not the main line of defense against water intrusion. One critical feature for your backpack is to have draining holes in the bottom. If water gets into the bag or if you will be using the internal water bladders, and they leak, you want the water to be able to drain. Of course, there are backpacks out there that come with a cover included, or covers that you can buy to add on. From my experience, they are usually dinky and don't work well. You could also consider treating your backpack with chemicals to make it water shedding. The best solution I have seen including putting each small subset of your gear in its own plastic bag. You should get the decent quality ones here with solid waterproof zippers. The more plastic sealed bags you can break your gear into, the better the protection you have against water intrusion, messing up your stuff. And just a, just a little side note here he's got a picture of uh, some of these Ziploc bags. And one of the things that, you know, it looks like his uh, his he's got his clothes, and he might have done this for just to kind of keep things flat, but you can also push out the air in these Ziploc bags, rolling them up and keeping, um, you know, the zipper cracked just a little bit so you can push out the air and then zip it up and then roll it back out. Uh, it doesn't look like he did that here, but it could have just been the picture. But that's something uh, I know that uh, I had a foster daughter who went on a missions trip. They could only take a certain size bag. And that was the big recommendation from the pastor is to get these oversized Ziploc bags. I think you can get them. I mean, they're like really oversized and put all your stuff in there. And she really got a lot in there. I was very surprised. And that was all pre prepping uh, pre prepper website stuff but uh you know since then that's always been a reminder that you use It kind of works on the same principles as those space bags that you can suck out the air with a vacuum cleaner but on these you just kind of do it on your own all right continuing on the key thing to protect here are your spare sets of clothes sleeping bags and any electronics if you find yourself drenched in water and in a cold environment you will need these items to be dry to stabilize your core body temperature quickly i actually put the ma- majority of my gear in little bags a safe bed is also having a high quality and thermal blanket in your pack just in case to fall back on. If if you If your other gear fails, it might be at least a ditch option that could save your life. I have a list of all of the best ones that I have personally tested. Another solution in combination with breaking your gear into smaller plastic sealed bags is to get a 55 gallon trash bag, open it up and put it in your backpack first before you put your gear in. This only works in the main compartment, and if your bag is broken down into small compartments, it won't work. Then, once you fill your gear inside the 55-gallon bag that is in your backpack, you can close it off at the top to seal it off. This scheme offers you two layers of water protection inside your backpack. These big trash bags are already very useful in a bug-out situation, so you won't be wasting weight by using the strategy. There might be times that come up where you might have to drop your bob down a ledge You may fall or something might bump it. You'll want to make sure that any sort of jolt won't easily damage the gear inside of it. Your absolutely best strategy here is to pick a properly sized bag for the amount of gear that you have. One mistake that many people make is buying the backpack first and then trying to find gear to put into it. Instead, it's wise to buy your gear first and find a backpack that is the ideal size for it. You will want your backpack to be snugly full with your gear. This doesn't mean overfilled where it's hard to get the zipper shut. With the proper filling and being smart on how you pack your gear, it is one of the best ways to keep things from slamming around if the bag takes a hit. If you are concerned about this area, you can employ the same solution that we discussed for the extreme pierce protection by getting some hard plastic sheets and cutting out some plastics, some plastic plates to line the different sides of your bag. The hard plastic will help absorb some of the energy from the big from the bag taking a hit from the outside another factor is that if you do end up with a lot of dead space then you will need some filler material to keep everything packed tight instead of using material that has no value value or use to you in the field consider getting a bigger tarp that is lightweight and that you can fluff a bit to consume the empty space bug nets are another luxury in summertime that are very fluffy and perfect for this Wrap them with an outer material to help prevent punctures as discussed before. Most people don't consider theft in a bug out situation, but chances are you most likely will encounter other people along the way and they will be desperate. It's important for your bag to look as boring as possible and for you to not have any fancy gear hanging off the outside of your bag. The grey man philosophy plays well here. Otherwise, you are advertising valuable items to anyone that you might come across, and if they think there are things that, you want, that they want out on the outside, they will imagine that there is even better stuff on the inside. Simply be smart here. Make your Bob look boring and very vanilla. You aren't trying to win a popularity contest or make other people think you are cool. Remember, it's for survival. What may get you extra points online in stable times can get you killed in a crisis. You'll notice that my bug out bag just looks like a plain black camping setup. There's nothing fancy about it. It doesn't scream expensive gear, even though it does have some inside. That wraps it up for our discussion on how to battle harden your bug out bag. Remember that once you have all your gear together in your backpack, you are not quite done yet. You want to employ some of the things we talked about in order to give your bag better immunity to pierces, water intrusion, shock, and also thieves. Whether it's choosing the right backpack material to start with, keeping your vital gear in its original storage bag, or partitioning your gear out into small, sturdy, and sealed plastic bags, you have plenty of options here to keep your gear protected. All right, so there's a couple of comments there in the in the uh, in the article below the article. So a lot of uh, links that you're linking to here that you can link to and pictures to go check out over at Survival Sullivan. Uh, good article for you there. Hey, we uh, I think we had a good podcast here tonight. Uh, a couple of different articles that uh, you know you don't always uh, read about out there in the preparedness community. Some different ideas. and kind of you know that's kind of what it's all about. Hey, if you're new to the Prepper Website podcast and you're coming to us from one of the podcasting networks, you found us out there, and uh, you know this is new for you. Hey, I want to welcome you to come over to PrepperWebsite.com. And uh, that's our kind of like our flagship website where we, we post uh, eight, somewhere between 8 to 12 articles, sometimes more, every single day. And uh, if you're looking for more preparedness information, there's a lot of articles that I don't read, don't get to on the podcast. So uh, you want to head over there and check that out. And there's a, just a lot of good stuff over there. All right, so that's going to be it for this podcast, episode 54. Come over to the website, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, episode 54. Drop us a note in the comments section or hit me up on one of the social media channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I always love hearing from people out there. All right, so choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.